Yesterday, we spoke about <clears throat> the Pasuk, Me'ayin Yavoa Ezri. We explained, according to the Arod Devash, that Me'ayin Yavoa Ezri is talking about a person hopeless because he doesn't have zechut, doesn't have merit. He knows Hashem could help him. That's not his problem. He, know, he knows Hashem is capable of sending him salvation. But he says, What zechut do I have that Hashem will want to help me? I haven't done in my life nearly what I need to do that Hashem should help me. Meaning, for someone to help you, number one, he has to be capable. But number two, you have to be deserving. So, I know he's capable. I'm not giving up because he's not capable. But I don't feel I have the zechut. That's how the Ya'arod Devash explains. And then, the next pasuk says, which we explained means that Hashem will help me even if I don't have the zechut. Just like when he made Shamayim Ba'aretz. When he made Shamayim Ba'aretz, nobody had zechut. Every, not only Shamayim Ba'aretz, every one of us, when they were created, we weren't created based on our merit. Hashem doesn't give out things based on merit. He gives out based on the future. Meaning, based on the person being able to take advantage of the opportunity Hashem gave him. Hashem is not looking, even in the future, it's not for him, it's for us. That's why in the Torah, there's a halakha, which is not really applicable, never happened, not going to happen either. But the idea of it, the Torah wants to tell us, is the Ben Sorero More. Ben Sorero More is a young man who basically does certain things that are mischievous, things that are not appropriate. And based on certain factors, the Torah says this kind of boy has no hope, and therefore, he should be put to death. Again, according to the technical halakha of that parasha, we're never going to be able to kill him because there's so many details never going to happen. So why did I write it for? So I wrote it to tell us something, that if a person is living in this world and he's not going to achieve anything, He's not going to fulfill the purpose of what he was created for. So then there's no purpose to his creation. The whole reason why we were given a life is that we will be able to make something out of the life. And at the point where there's nothing to make. So there's no purpose in us surviving. The purpose of creation was not because we had merit, that's obvious. We didn't have merit. And the whole purpose is that Hashem gave us an opportunity. And as long as we're here, we have that opportunity. It doesn't matter how old we are. And it doesn't make a difference how little we accomplished. That's why the answer of David HaMelech is, Don't look at your record. Don't look at your past and say, where's my zikhut? You look forward. Look at what you're going to do. Look at what you're capable of doing. Maybe things that you have messed up before, it's time to fix them. It's time to realize that life has a purpose, meaning your life has a purpose, and start doing the things that you need to do to fulfill that purpose. That was just a review of yesterday. But Jack's asking, maybe the guy who is in this world and not accomplishing, 
is different than when Hashem made the world. When Hashem made the world, the person had opportunity and didn't mess up. That's why Hashem made him. But we, who already came into this world and, and proved that we're not taking advantage of the opportunity, how does that compare to someone who was given the opportunity? So the answer to that question is, what it says in the Torah, that when Hashem created Adam, it says, Na'aseh Adam. Hashem said, let us make men. So Hazal said, what do you mean, let us make men? Who is he talking to? So Hazal said that Hashem consulted with Malachim, with angels, whose their job was to analyze the future of this Adam that they would create. What's going to be of him? So some angels said, not worth to create him. He's going to cheat. He's going to lie. He's going to be selfish. Don't make him. Others say, others said, he's going to do a lot of kindness. He's going to do a lot of good. Make him. So there was, so there was a debate in heaven. Now these angels aren't, this is, the, this is the way of Hashem telling us what's in his mind. Right? Meaning, it's a way of expressing what were the two sides to create or not to create. One side was that they would do great things. Let's make them. One is they would mess up. So let's not make them. Hashem decided let's create them. So how, how, how come Hashem decided to create them? They're doing bad. Answer is, Hashem created them knowing that they wouldn't be doing the right things because he put in the creation something called rahamim, something called compassion. And this compassion, even if they're doing bad, he still will hold on to them with the hope that they will turn it around. That's the way, right? Good? You with me or no? Meaning, when Hashem made the world, to answer your question, He was well aware that mankind would mess up. But He still created the world. This was not a surprise. That's what, the, that's what that Pasuk is really teaching you. That when there is bad or evil in the world, it's not a surprise. It was something foreseen that mankind would do bad or could do bad. But yet Hashem said, I'm still going to create him. And still stick with him, that hopefully he'll be able to turn it around. So it's not a hidush. So when Hashem created the world, already that was part of the understanding. Now, once we're on the subject, I figured it was a good opportunity to analyze a very important subject in the Torah that really focuses on this issue. The Ramban in Parashat Shelah has a very long, long piece discussing the reason why Hashem was upset with the Miraglim, with the spies. We know that the story of the Miraglim was a terrible incident in our history. It was a story of Destruction, Tisha B'Av began by the Miraglim. I mean, the damage caused by the Miraglim on that night of Tisha B'Av was so powerful, it's still with us till today. It was terrible damage. Yet the Ramban, when he reads the Torah, can hardly find anything wrong with what they did. It's very unusual that something could be so destructive for then and till now and yet when you read the Torah you don't understand what's the problem. The Ramban has a long piece trying to say, well, what did they do wrong? Oh, it, wa it wasn't this because that's where they sent them. For example, 
when they reported back about the fruits. They had very big fruits there. They had giants. They had fortified cities. That's what Moshe told them to do. He told them, go, see what kind of land it is. See what kind of people they are. See if they're powerful. See if they're weak. See what kind of cities they have. Are they fortified? Are they open? That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't send them for a visit to come home, to go back and come back. He sent them on a mission, Latur et to go spy the land. Mean bring back all the information about what they saw. Nowhere, nowhere do we find, says the Ramban, that they're accused of lying. They never lied. Everything they said was the truth. And that's why they sent them. So everything they spoke about, Moshe Rabbeinu told them, here, go see the land, what is it? Go see the people that are living on it. Is he strong? Is it a strong nation? Is it a weak nation? Are they small in population? Imrav, Mahaaret, go look at the land. Hatovai, is it a good land? Imra'a, Umahe'arim, look at the cities. Umahaaret, Hashemenahi, Imraza. And they came back and they reported what they saw. Again, no lies. There were no lies in the story of the Miraglim. And they told them. Yes, we came to the land. It was Zabat Halavudvash, was flowing with milk and honey. Vezepriya, they brought back fruit to show how giant the fruits were over there. He says, Yes, the nations over there were very strong and the cities were very fortified. And we saw the giants over there. And they described Amalek was in the south, and they described all of it. Says the Ramban, and don't tell me that their problem was because they said, Eretz Ochelet Yoshevea. They said this is a land that devours those who live in it. They saw people were dying. Maybe that was their sin. Says the Ramban, before they said those words, already Kalev, one of the good guys there, the Pasuk says, after the things I just told you, again, all they said, they spoke more after, but up till now, he showed them the fruit, they told that, he told, they told, they said, this is a land flowing with milk and honey, they said it's a strong nation, fortified cities. They reported where each nation lived. That's it. And the giants with it. Right away, Vayahas Kalev et Ha'am el Moshe. Which means that Kalev stepped in and tried to divert the attention. From what they were saying. Vayomer and he says, Alonale. We are gonna go up. We could do it. Says Ramban. They didn't say yet. Eretz They didn't say this is the land that devours its inhabitants. So that wasn't the sin either. So all they did is report what they saw. And already Kalev is saying, stop. Stop talking like that. They didn't say anything. They reported what they saw. You hear the problem? Kalev is saying, quiet, don't talk like that. What did they say? Whatever Moshe Rabbeinu told them to do, that's what they did. The Ramban in his Arichut goes... From one thing to another. And then he says finally in the end. 
He said, I'll read you the words. Aval Risham says that Rambam, I'm going to tell you where their evil came from. Bemilat with the word, they said one word. Imagine the destruction of Tisha Be'av by the Miraglim and in history came from one word. And just to show you the power of a word. What was the word? It says, Mish'am Bemilat Ephes. They said the word Ephes. They added their own commentary. You know how when people report news, they throw in their own twist of the news? So they reported everything. They said, this land is flowing with milk and honey. Nice. Vezepiria. Look at this fruit. They brought back grapes. Giant grapes. Full of blessing. Then they said, Ephes ki azha'am. However, that's the literal meaning. However, the nation there is very, very strong. Now, the word Ephes is more than however. Not just going from one subject to another. Ramban says this word Ephes, hu more al davar Ephes venimna mina adam. The word Ephes means zero. So he says, what do they mean when they said Ephes? Ephes, they were expressing that this is what we're about to tell you is something that we're not going to be able to capture. It's not just, oh, it's a great country, but they're very strong people there. No, no. Ephes, it's more than but. Or however. It was Ephes. Meaning we. With what we have. We're not going to be able to capture this land. The people there. The cities. The giant. We're not doing it. Ephes. He says. Davar nimna mina adam. She'i efshar beshum enyan. When you tell someone. You can't do this. Impossible. Can't be done. That's called. Ephes. He says, That's what they were saying. Yes, it's a beautiful land. Yeah, it's got a lot of great fruits there. But we can't, we can't possibly capture this land from these people. Because they're very powerful. So on and so forth. Says That was the sin of the Miraglin. When they said to Am Yisrael, you can't do it. Now, how come the Miraglim thought? Let's think about that. The Miraglim who were, they picked from the greatest people in our nation to go do this mission. They didn't send young guys or simple people. They sent great people. You're talking about a nation that just experienced Yetziat Mitzrayim. They just experienced the splitting of the sea. They experienced Matan Torah. They experienced the war with Amalek. Did they actually believe that Hashem can't wipe out these powerful Kenani, did they not witness the fall of Mitzrayim, a very powerful country? We had no weapons. We had no army. Hadn't God take us out of Egypt? We say, Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim. We didn't, we didn't leave Mitzrayim. Hashem had to take us out. No army, no weapons. We're slaves for a very long time. So did they not experience this? Did they not see it? What did they mean when they said, but we can't do it? Yes, we can't do it. 
But Hashem has been carrying us. These people are eating man every day. This is not like me and you where we have to build our emunah in Hashem. These are people who are waking up every morning to the man. They're waking up and they're seeing the Be'er Miriam walking with them. They're seeing God's hand in their life for the last year in a way that no human has ever seen. And they're saying we can't do it? What's going on? That's a big question. The Hafez Haim asked this question and he says something so powerful. He says, of course they knew that Hashem could help them. And they knew that if Hashem won't help them, then they can't do it. That was not, they had no doubt that Hashem could help them. But they made a calculation. They said, listen, we're in the desert here. We're uh, a few months after Matan Torah. Not even a few months, less than two months after Matan Torah. What are they doing? They make the eagle. They make a golden kif. God tells them in Har Sinai. He didn't talk that much to them. He said, do not make images. Less than two months, Moshe Rabbeinu is still in Shamaim. They make an eagle. Hashem is giving them food, heavenly food every day. Imagine waking up every day. You see a package by your door from Shamaim. Not from Amazon, not from UPS, not from your neighbor. Every day, every, every person wakes up with a package of man. Man that looks great, tastes great, can taste anything that you want it to taste great, awesome, healthy, doesn't cause any stomach aches, doesn't, doesn't even make you go to the bed, gorgeous. What do they do? They complain. We had enough of the man. We want meat. We don't like what we're eating. Guys. So they're seeing this pattern that Hashem is doing so much for them and they're not behaving the way they should. Man, these are great people looking at them and saying, come on, guys, how are we going to do this? Now you want to go to Eretz Israel? You know, in the desert, it's one thing. But Eretz Israel is like the palace of Hashem. That's like the land of Kiddushah, called Eretz HaKodesh. We call it the Holy Land. You're going to go and act like this in the king's palace? You got to be smart. If you're committing a crime, don't do it across from the police station. Say, go somewhere where there's no cops. You don't go across the police station and rob a store. You got to be a hamor to do that. And it will be held against you, by the way. It's like real chutzpah that you go in front of the cop's face and you go do something terrible. Be smart. Go somewhere on the side nobody sees you. So he's saying, you guys in the desert is one thing. You're going to go to the Holy Land in the front of the palace of the Creator and over there you're going to mess up he says, of course, Hashem could help us. That wasn't, that wasn't a doubt in the, in the Miraglim's eyes. They saw all the great miracles that Hashem did for them. But they said, with your attitude, why would Hashem help you? Ephes doesn't mean Hashem can't do it. Ephes means why would He do it? Why would He help you? When you're behaving the way you're behaving. In the desert, you're a little bit distant from the king's palace. So maybe less is asked of you. Maybe you get a few different uh, allowances for misbehavior. But you're in the principal's office. If you're in the principal's office, you don't get that much wiggle room. You're in the hallways, you're in the classroom. Not in the principal. You can't do that in the principal's office. That's way past the line. 
So the Miraglim were discouraging Am Yisrael to go because they felt, says the Hafez Haim, that there's no way that Hashem would help them with their attitude in the holy land of Eretz Yisrael. So what was the problem? Okay, so that means that means that, that, that what, what they do wrong. Okay, which which by the way is really where we're supposed to get to because they chose the greatest people. So if we have a question, what did they do wrong? We're in a good place. That means we're understanding something. What they did wrong is a fatal, fatal error in life. What's the fatal error in life? That so long as Hashem keeps a person alive, that means Hashem believes in the person. You know, the Tzitzkah that Sadiq says, I mentioned this before to you, he says a Jew has to believe, strong belief, in three things. You have to be strong. You have to live with this clarity. Number one, you have to believe in the creator of the world. There's a Borei Olam. There's a creator who created the world and who runs this world. He's involved in your life. That's one. Number two, you have to believe in the emet of the Torah. You have to, when you read the Torah, you have to know Hashem is talking to you. He's giving you play-by-play play guidance of how to live life. And the third thing you have to believe, he says you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that you're capable of becoming something greater than you are today. You have to believe that. Now the truth is a very popular subject. I told you this once before. It's a very popular subject. People talk about confidence. Believe in yourself. You have the world is full of people who get paid a lot of money to come and give motivational speakers that come into a big room with a lot of people who pay a lot of money and they make them crazy. They tell them stories about this guy who almost fell into the gutter and then he believed in himself. He picked himself up and he became the owner of a Fortune 500 company. They give you a story of this guy. And they talk with a nice tone and the right excitement. They go high, they go low. By the time you leave there after 45 minutes, you're, you're in the clouds. Someone tells you, well, how was, oh, you don't know. I'm flying. You walk out of there feeling, I'm ready to take on the world. I'm ready to do it. Can't. Next challenge. All it takes is a nap or overnight you wake up in the morning and you realize you're the same hamor you were before you went to the switch. It's exciting. No, the, 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 it's nice. You read, you get excited, here you go. But how long does that last? It's just like a, it's a drug. That's all it is. It's a drug of the brain where you walk in and they mesmerize you how you could do anything you want. But then you realize that you can't. And then you go back to the same problem you had before. Maybe even worse. That's not what we're talking about. When we say that a person has to believe in himself, we don't mean what these lectures are saying, we don't mean what the books are saying. That's not what we're talking about. There is a simple question. Why should a person believe in himself? Why should he? What does that mean? I believe, you know, people tell you, believe in yourself. Michael, how many people you told that in your life? You didn't know what you were saying even. You heard, you heard people say it, you said it also. Believe in yourself. Believe, you have to believe in yourself. You tell your son, you tell your daughter, you tell your, your salesman, you tell everybody you see. Believe, you have to believe in yourself. But really, these are empty words. Because, what do you mean believe in myself? 
Who am I to believe in myself? No, if you believe, you can do anything. You've said that before? If you believe it, you could do it. That is such sheker. You know how big of a lie that is? That is the biggest lie on the planet. If you believe it, you could do it. Really. So let me see. Let's say I go to a doctor. And uh, he gives me a magic pill or a magic shot <laughs> that makes you believe with all your heart that you can carry a building. You walk out of there, you get the shot. Guy says, what are you thinking? Ah, I'm going to go carry a building now. You think you carry the building? Because you believe, I believe I can carry a building. You carry a building? Absolutely not. Let's not fool ourselves. So where's all your hype? Ah, if you believe, you can do anything. It's not true. That is shaken. If you believe, you cannot do anything. There are plenty of things that you cannot do. So what do you mean, believe in yourself? And if you believe, you could do anything. What, what does that mean? What does that statement mean? A lot of times we say words and we get excited, excited from them, but they're meaningless words. They don't mean anything. Let me, let me explain to you something. It's obvious. Just because you believe doesn't mean you could do. It's obvious. When we say you have to believe in yourself, so this, what it means is like this. It means that where, wherever you are in life, whatever situation Hashem puts you, Hashem only put you there because He believes in you. You might say, oh, why did I have this kid? I can't handle it. Drive me crazy. Oh, hold, oh, hold on. Who gave you the kid? The creator. Before he gave you that kid, he already, he already tested your capability and knew that you could handle it. That means Hashem believes in you in this situation. Oh, why did this happen? Why am I in this position? Everybody was put in a place. That's what we say every day. It's a beautiful explanation. Hashem, it says in Tehilim, Hashem, He puts shelek, He puts snow like the wool. Snow is like a piece of wool that we learned a few weeks ago. But some explain beautifully, not the simple Peshat, but the nice explanation, that Hashem gives snow according to the wool. Meaning before Hashem sends the cold and the snow, He first makes sure that people can handle it. He sees how much wool is there in the world. If there's enough wool in the world to keep them warm, He sends them the cold. He doesn't send the cold before He gives them the wool. And noten shelek, He gives the cold katsamer in according with the amount of wool. The amount of wool has to be enough to keep them warm so they can handle the cold. Hashem didn't just leave us with cold. He gave us the ability to stay warm in the cold. We can handle it. And if we couldn't handle it, He wouldn't give it to us. So what does it mean to believe in myself? Believing in myself is really a branch of believing in Hashem. That's why a person who believes in himself and doesn't believe in Hashem, it's a, it's a hype, but it's not real. But if you believe in Hashem and you believe that Hashem will only put you in life in situations that you can handle. And not only you can handle, you could excel from. Because Hashem is not interested in you handling things. Hashem is interested in you flying. Hashem is interested in you becoming something big. That's why He puts you in situations. So when, I, when you're in a situation in life, whatever that situation is, it's because Hashem believes in you. He believes that you could come out greater than where you started. He believes you can achieve greatness from this situation. And once Hashem believes in you, so then you believe in yourself. If Hashem believes in me, of course I believe in myself. That is the source of a person believing in him. That's real. And that is the mistake of the Meraglim. 
The mistake of the Miraglim is they didn't believe in Am Yisrael. By the way, once we know the source of believing in ourselves is Hashem believing in us, once that's the source, look what it does. It also obligates us to believe in others. I mean, the same way I believe in myself, in my situation. I know Hashem put me in this situation, so therefore must be He believes in me. That same source, I will look at another person who is in a difficult situation or in a questionable situation, and I now believe in you, and therefore I will act with that belief. I believe you could become something great. Oh, I look at you today, I don't see anything. I see somebody empty. I see somebody who may be naked. You know how many people I've met in my life that the first time I spoke to them, they were going the opposite direction? If you would judge them based on where they were going in life and how they spoke, they would say words that like when you heard them, you had to like cringe. What are they saying, these people? They had all kinds of shitot, all kinds of mindsets, all kinds of things they made up for the last 30, 40. You know, people make up things. They learn something when they're five. They keep it in, the, in their storage. Then their uncle says something on the Shabbat table. They put that into. They read a New York Times article when they were 13. They put that too. Then they hear something on the news when they're 16, 17. They add that too. Then they heard somebody speak, a rabbi speak about something. They figured out how to take the rabbi's words and also mix it in there. And all of a sudden, by the time they're 25, they're writing books on their, on their, uh, on their hashkafa of life. That's what it is. They're writing stories. They're writing inspiration about all their ideas. Where did you get your ideas from? It's all, it's a, it's a regular chulant. It's a chulant of mishmash. You took something from here, from there, from there, from there, and you built the building on quicksand. There's nothing there. That is how most people, and put in a little emotion, by the way, throw in a little emotion, throw in a little hatred, throw in a little... All of a sudden, this is my worldview. Understand? Most people's worldview has zero foundation. So you hear a guy talking about his worldview and you get all discouraged. Oh, this guy, forget it. He can't be anything. This guy can't become God-fearing. That guy can never learn. He come to shul, never. That guy pray, never. That guy doing mitzvot, never. Are you kidding me? See where he's going? He speaks everything opposite. He's faced everywhere opposite. That's what people do. They look at people the way they see them. But wait. One second. Why is Hashem keeping them alive? If, if they're hopeless, so for what reason they have to stay alive? Why is Hashem keeping them here? Why does He keep them around you? If they're hopeless, if they're here, that means Hashem has hope for them. Hashem believes in them. And if Hashem believes in them, then you believe in them. The same way you believe in yourself because Hashem believes in you. You look at your son, you look at your daughter, you look at your cousin, you look at your friend. You look at another person that you may, may not even know. Don't forget the way he's talking. Forget the way he's... Forget that. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. He's not hopeless. If you would be hopeless, you would put in Yesod. And that's where the Miraglim failed. The Miraglim's failure, they were right in their assessment. They were right. How are these people going to Eretz Israel with this attitude? How is that going to happen? They're never going to make it. They were right. But they were off in one point. Imagine, the greatest destruction in our history, the source of Tisha B'Av, was from a few people who didn't believe in Am Yisrael. They didn't believe that they could be something special. The next time you give up on a guy, think about that. That's where the biggest destruction in our history came from. 
When you look at a guy and say, ah, he can't do it. Forget about it. Next, let's move on to somebody else. That is destruction. And that was their mistake. They assessed it the way they saw it. But they didn't realize that they had Hashem's confidence. And therefore, they should have given the same confidence. And by the way, that's what Kalev told them. Kalev didn't argue. Kalev says, Vayomer, Ale ale. Let's go. We could do it. You're saying we can't do it. We could do it with all the issues that we had. But we could. As long as you don't rebel against Hashem. You have hope. Hashem will help you. You will be able to do. You will have the strength to be able to fulfill it. By the way, just to finish off on this. The good question. The good question. Not sure. I mean, simply, Yachol Nuchal means to make it Hazak. Well, surely. Not we could. Not we could. Not we could. We for sure could. That's the simple explanation. But there must be something deeper in that. I have to check in. The Hobot Levavot says in Shara Bitahon that one of the key areas in Bitahon. Bitahon means I trust Hashem. He's my security. He says one of the important causes that brings a person to real Bitahon, he says, he says, that the one that you trust and feel secure with him, that he will do good for him even if he didn't promise him. And he didn't obligate himself to do the good. For example, Hashem says, if you do the mitzvot the right way, I'm going to give you beracha. Now the guy doesn't do it the right way. So now you would say, oh, I trusted in him, but he gave me certain criteria. He said, if you do the right thing, I'm going to give you. Now I didn't do the right thing. Oh, he's mad at me now. He's mad at me and therefore, you can't have full bitahon in someone if your relationship with him is going to be dependent on him getting mad at you. You know people that some people, every time you see them, you have to first assess what's their mood. And certain people, their mood determines how they act and how they speak. If How could you have bitahon in a moody person? Impossible. Because you never know what their mood is. They love you. They care for you. They want to help you. But if they have a bad mood that day, so then now you're mishobad. You're enslaved to their bad mood. The person you have bitahon says the avot l'avot has to be someone that even when you're not deserving, even when he told you, do this, and I will do this for you, and you didn't do it. The one that you're relying on, you have to feel confident that even when you spit in front of him, and even when you totally ignore him, he still loves you and still wants to do good for you. If you want to have real emunah, real bitahon in someone, it has to be the kind of person that not only will take care of you when they're happy with you. That's nice. But full bitahon, that you have to feel confident that he will continue to look out for you even when you're not doing what you're supposed to do. When you're not keeping your end of the deal. That's, says the Havot Lavot, that's one of the key elements of bitahon, which means for our discussion, to believe that Hashem loves me even though I messed up. To believe that Hashem 
has the confidence in me and believes in me, even though I haven't done what I'm supposed to have done. That is a very important area in a life of a great person. By the way, it's one of the yetsara that we have in life. One of the yetsara in life is to inflate our ego. He says, oh, you, oh, wow, what a man. Guy hasn't done three things in his life. Tells him, you, what a guy. You're such a tzaddik. You're such a great person. How many people like you in the world? How many people could say they've done what you've done? person, yes, that has a way of inflating the guy's head to make him think he's right below Moshe Rabbeinu. Right below Moshe Rabbeinu. There's Moshe Rabbeinu and then there's him. That's one of the ways the Yetzirah. But it's the opposite kind of Yetzirah. You got to be careful of that too. Yetzirah tells him, you, hey, you're zero. Look at you. What have you done in your life? Look how much damage you caused in your life. Look how little you accomplished in your life. Ah, you went to pray today? That's called a tefillah. That, that your prayer was called a tefillah. Come on, do me a favor. You didn't understand the word you were saying. Ah, you gave charity. You know, you know it's all about your honor. Come on, that's called charity. Basically, if he failed inflating your ego, or depending on who you were, he will come to you and basically drive you to the gutter. He'll tell you you're a worthless Zero, who does nothing good in their life, is incapable. You could learn. Let me see you learn. Five minutes, you're already going and get a coffee. You can't hold your concentration for five minutes. Do me a favor. You're going to sit down and learn. What are you going to become? Chawabaja now? When you sit down and learn, your, your half hour is going to make a difference. All of a sudden, the guy takes all any air you had in your balloon and he deflates it. He takes you and he makes you believe that you're a zero and that you're not capable. That's one of the big tactics of the Yetzirah. I'll just end off with what Jack said before. One of the, in, in the, by the Miraglim, we see they said to Moshe Rabbeinu that they felt, here, yeah, they felt, look at the words they said. He says, we felt, in our eyes, we felt like grasshoppers. We saw these giants. We felt like grasshoppers. And that's the way they looked at us. First of all, how did they know how they looked at them? They, if they felt like grasshoppers, that's nice. And how did they know what they looked at them? Answer is that when a per the way a person looks at himself, that's what he thinks everyone's looking at him to. The way you the way you view yourself, that's the way people look at you. You feel they're just it's just a reflection of the way you look. You if you think you're a lazy bum, every guy you see, you look at him, then he thinks you're a lazy bum. If you think you're an Asha, everyone in your eyes is looking at you with it. So what? Why are you looking at me? That's the kind of it. What? What? What do you want? What? Why are you staring at me? Yeah, <laughs> that that because you're imagining that whatever they're looking at is what you're looking at. They were dying because Hashem was helping them, but they they translated something else. which means they felt like grasshoppers. Says this fat that when you feel like a grasshopper, there's not much you could accomplish in life if you feel. Like you are, well, what can become of me? Me, I'm going to be something. I could be something great. I could be something special. I can leave a legacy of greatness in my life. A person sometimes looks at himself and says, I have no koa. I don't have the tools. Or a person could say, look, I'm already 40 years old. I'm 70 years old already. I don't have the ability. Let me tell you something. I'm just going to finish off with this. Even 80, by the way. Even 80. Let me tell you something. Just to give you a little a little hezuk on this subject. Some of the greatest people in our history started way late in their life. And some of them had no tools at all. Rabbi Akiva is one of our greatest examples. Rabbi Akiva, he was a man 40, but not only 40. 
You were the 40 year old, uh, ignorant, you didn't know how to read. Didn't know Aleph Bet. If you know Aleph Bet, he already had a Rabbi He didn't know anything. And he became one of the greatest people in the history of this world. 40 year old man who knew nothing. It says, it says, I mentioned in the summer, how did he become so great? So when later on, when he came back with thousands of students, many, many years later, a woman came to say hello to him and they were trying to block her. And he said, don't block her. He said, what do you mean you block This is my wife. Everything I have and you have, that's hers. So I explained this summer, how come Rabbi, it's a very famous statement when people say, listen, whatever I have is from my wife. She gave me, she helped me. But why did Rabbi Akiva say that more than anybody else? Answer is, because Rabbi Akiva was a shepherd. Rabbi Akiva was a Amha Aretz. Rabbi Akiva probably didn't have too many Shidduchim options. And here this woman, wealthy, God-fearing, top of the world, she could have anybody she wants. She can marry any guy she wants. She comes home and tells her father, I want to marry Akiva. Akiva? Which Akiva? The shepherd. The 40-year-old Are you crazy? A young lady like you? A 40-year-old shepherd? He's a Amaretz. I get you to tell me Hacham. I get you the top guy in Yeshiva. I'll give, him every, I'll give you everything. I'm wealthy man. No, dad. I'm willing to give up all the money in the world, which she did, and all the guys that are there in the Torah world for Akiva. Akiva says, what made me to be Akiva? Because I had a woman who believed in me. She believed in me so much that she was willing to give up every kind of great future because she believed that I could do it. There's nothing that a person who believes in himself or others believe in him can accomplish in his area in life. Some of the greatest people accomplished as they got Moshe Rabbeinu. You know when he started becoming Moshe Rabbeinu? Torah says when he was 80 years old. 80 years old. And Aaron was 83 years old and starts the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu. I'm not saying before that he was Hasve Shalom, a bum. But the great years of Moshe Rabbeinu was when he was 80. Hashem, there's a reason for that. Torah told us this information. Torah didn't have to tell us how old he was. Torah says, you know how old Moshe was when he started with Paran? He was 80. Moshe ben Shmonim Shana. And Aaron, he was 83. Why, why are you telling us that? To tell us, listen, don't ever look at yourself and say, me, as long as you're here, Hashem believes in you and you could become something great. You could turn the opposite. You could be one of those people that really turn their life around in such a way that you influence so many thousands and millions of people. Have a wonderful day. That's the Harabah.